Our living black man 
to feel inferior, but with superior. Break the chains on our brains that made us fear. Blend allegiance to a flag that neglects us. Honor a man that refused to respect us. Emancipation, proclamation, please. We could just say that to save the nation. These are lies that we all accepted. Say no to drugs, but the government's kept it. Running through our community, killing the unity. The war on drugs is a war on you and me. And yet, they say this is the home of the free. You ask me, it's all about hypocrisy. The Constitution, no, it don't apply to me. And Lady Liberty, stupid bitch, lie to me. This may be strong, I know it's gonna like what I'm pumping, but it's wrong. She keeps the one from learning something, so get up. It's time to start nation building. I'm better. We gotta start teaching children that they can be all that they want to be. It's much more to life than just poverty. This is definitely, uh, words of wisdom. America! 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 I charge you with the crime of rape, murder, and assault for suppressing and punishing my people. I charge you with robbery for robbing me of my history. I charge you with false imprisonment for keeping me trapped in the projects. And the jury finds you guilty on all accounts. And you are to serve the consequences for your evil schemes. Prosecutor, do you have any more evidence? Words of wisdom, based upon the strength of a nation Conquer the enemy, armed with education Protect yourself, reach for what you wanna do Know thyself, teach by what we've been through Armed with the knowledge of the place we've been No one will ever oppress this race again No Malcolm X in my history text, why's that? Cause he tried to educate and liberate all blacks Why is Martin Luther King in my book each week? He told blacks that they get smacked, turned the other cheek I don't get it, so many questions run through my mind I get sweated, they act like I should question the crime But forget it, cause one day I'ma prove the rhyme That every brother has to smother on the Welfare line. The American dream, though it seems like it's attainable, they're pulling your sleep. Don't believe, cause it'll strike you. Pulling the light from your brain, I can't explain. Make it so you can't obtain from what you came. You sweat to the mother that you're living. Inequality, forgetting your brother that's living. Here in poverty, both they had us beaten when they took out kids. But the battle ain't over to the black man saints, words of wisdom. The battle ain't over to the black man saints, words of wisdom. Nightmare, that's what I am. America's nightmare. I am what you made me. The hate and the evil that you gave me. I shine as a reminder of what you've done to my people for 400 plus years. You should be scared. You should be running. You should be trying to silence me. Huh? But you cannot escape fate. For it is my turn to come. Just as you rose, you will fall. By my hands, America. You reap what you sow. Two America's nightmare. Ice Cube from the lynch mob. America's nightmare. Above the law. America's nightmare. Paris. America's nightmare. Public enemy. America's nightmare. KRS One, America's New African Panthers, America's Nightmare. Shakur, America's Nightmare. Pratt, America's Nightmare. Shakur, America's I'm testing. While some civil rights leaders urged a more cautious approach 
to winning civil rights, Malcolm X expressed the feelings of many blacks that more uncompromising methods of struggle were needed. Like members of the Black Panther Party, Malcolm X advocated the right of armed self-defense for blacks and other oppressed groups who lived in so violently racist a society as the United States. Here is an excerpt of a speech Malcolm X delivered in Detroit, Michigan, two years after giving the speech, February 21st, 1965. He was assassinated in New York City. I just want to say that Malcolm X is one of my favorite people and one of my favorite thinkers and speakers. So it's a special pleasure to read one of his speeches because he also has one of my favorite lines ever. And I'll say it slowly so you guys know what I'm saying. We want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in the language that everybody here can easily understand. We all agree tonight, all of the speakers have agreed that America has a very serious problem. Not only does America have a very serious problem, but our people have a very serious problem. America's problem is us. We're her problem. The only reason she has a problem is she doesn't want us here. And every time you look at yourself, be you black, brown, red, or yellow, a so-called Negro, you represent a person who poses such a serious problem for America because you're not wanted. Once you face this as a fact, then you can start plotting a course that will make you appear intelligent instead of unintelligent. What you and I need to do is learn to forget our differences. When we come together, we don't come together as Baptist or Methodist. You don't catch hell because you're a Baptist, and you don't catch hell because you're a Methodist. And you sure don't catch hell because you're an American, because if you were an American, you wouldn't catch hell. <laughs> you catch hell because you're a black man. You catch hell, all of us catch hell for the same reason. So we're all black people, so-called Negroes, second-class citizens, ex-slaves. You're nothing but an ex-slave. You don't like to be told that, but what else are you? You are ex-slaves. You didn't come here on the Mayflower. You came here on a slave ship in chains, and you were bought here by the people who came here on the Mayflower. And you were bought here by the so-called pilgrims or founding fathers. They were the ones who brought you here. We have a common enemy. We have a common enemy. We have this in common. We have a common oppressor, a common exploiter, and a common discriminator. But once we all realize that we have a common enemy, then we unite on the basis of what we have in common. And what we have foremost in common is that enemy, the white man. He's an enemy to all of us. I know some of you all think that some of them aren't enemies. Time will tell. <laughs> Look at the American Revolution in 1776. That revolution was for what? For land. Why did they want land? Independence. How was it carried out? Bloodshed, the French Revolution, what was it based on? The landless against the landlord, what was it for? Land, how did they get it? Bloodshed, the Russian Revolution, what was it based on? Land, the landless against the landlord, how did they bring it about? Bloodshed, you haven't got a revolution that doesn't involve bloodshed. 
you're afraid to bleed. As long as the white man sent you to Korea, you bled. He sent you to Germany, you bled. He sent you to the South Pacific to fight the Japanese, you bled. You bleed for white people, but when it comes to seeing your own churches being bombed and little black girls murdered, you haven't got any blood. You bleed when the white man says bleed. You bite when the white man says bite. And you bark when the white man says bark. I hate to say this about us, but it's true. How are you going to be nonviolent in Mississippi as violent as you were in Korea? How can you justify being nonviolent in Mississippi and Alabama when your churches are being bombed and your little girls are being murdered? If violence is wrong in America, violence is wrong abroad. If it is wrong to be violent defending black women and black children and black babies and black men, then it is wrong for America to draft us and make us violent abroad in her defense of her. And if it is right for America to draft us and teach us how to be violent in defense of her, then it is right for you and me to do whatever is necessary to defend our people, our own people, right here in this country. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. You're living at a time of extremism, a time of revolution, a time when there's got to be a change. People in power have misused it, and now there has to be a change, and a better world has to be built, and the only way it's going to be built is with extreme methods. And I, for one, will join in with anyone, don't care what color you are, as long as you want to change this miserable condition that exists on this earth. Thank you. Ecstatic, 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 classic, flow, super magic, black origin, crush me out of dopeness, death me out of dopeness, sketch another opus, knock off your set, Brooklyn, we keep them open, the heavens expand, the stars advance, the love will be man, hold your hand, hand and power like bang, snap, I rebuke these snitches, we know the truth, you can't confuse me, bitches, Great name, greater than all your riches. Y'all don't say Flacco Bay, that's the business. Repeat, I rebuke these snitches. We know the truth, you can't confuse me, bitches. Strong magic to bust all you with your Cherokee chief. Rock a launcher, rock it, no stopping, let's get it. Yeah. You're now rocking with the devil. They make me feel so real Super magic, black origin, fresh me out of dopeness Death me out of dopeness, sketch another opus Lock off yourself, Brooklyn, we keep them open Again, again, super magic, black origin, fresh me out of dopeness Death me out of dopeness, sketch another opus Lock off yourself, come close and get them open Give it here, let it go Ecstasy. Uh-huh. 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 The heavens is fast. The stars are fast. The love will be back. Nice. 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 Magic.
because without it, you're not going anywhere on this earth today. Back during slavery, when black people like me talked to the slaves, they didn't kill them. They sent some old house negro along behind him to undo what he said. You have to read the history of slavery to understand this. There were two kinds of Negroes. There was that old house Negro and the field Negro. And the house Negro always looked out for his master. When the field Negroes got too much out of the line, he held them back in check. He put them back on the plantation. The house Negro could afford to do that because he lived better than the field Negro. He ate better, he dressed better, and he lived in a better house. He lived right up next to his master in the attic or the basement. He ate the same food his master ate and wore his same clothes. And he could talk just like his master, master, good addition. And he loved his master more than his master loved himself. That's why he didn't want his master hurt. If the master got sick, he'd say, what's the matter, boss, we sick? When the master's house caught fire, he'd try and put the fire out. He didn't want his master's house burned. He never wanted his master's property threatened. And he was more defensive of it than the master was. That was the house Negro. But then you had some field Negroes who lived in huts, had nothing to lose. They wore the worst kind of clothes, they ate the worst food, and they caught hell. They felt the sting of the lash. They hated their master. Oh, yes, they did. If the master got sick, they prayed that the master died. <laughs> if the master's house caught a fire, they prayed for a strong wind to come along. This was the difference between the two. And today you still have house Negroes and field Negroes. I'm a field Negro. Yo! Hold up, let me. There we go. Yo! Welcome to yet another episode of ADQ's Renaissance. I'm your host with the most. Keep it 100 from coast to coast. Through God, I boast. A-D-Q. First of all, I want to say in honor of the birthday king, of the birthday god, I'm a field Negro too. I'm a field Negro too. And in honor of all field Negroes everywhere, I want to say happy born day, happy solar return, happy birthday to the great El Haj Malik Shabazz. Formerly known as Malcolm Little, better known to the world throughout as Malcolm X. Happy birthday to Malcolm X. We celebrate Malcolm X, though his birthday is not deemed a national holiday, much like uh, Martin Luther King's is. Still, we who know the words of Malcolm X, we who have read this book, which I'm in the process of reading right now, we have read. We who have read this book, we celebrate Malcolm X. Me, I decided that I had to celebrate him by talking about him on my particular platform, ADQ's Renaissance. It's a Wednesday night. Thank you all very much for joining me. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me, and I appreciate that. I um, also would like to say rest in power to the comedian, to the artist, Paul Mooney, Negro Damas, indeed. Rest in power to him. 
We speak power to him as he is now joining the ancestors in the ancestral realm, a.k.a. heaven. So, I say, I say, I say to that, he is now an ancestor. Now, back to our ancestor, Malcolm X. I had to talk about Malcolm, but I could not talk about Malcolm alone. You know what I'm saying? I had to bring some company. Now, this brother who was joining me, he is a part of a very special club in regards to ADQ's Renaissance. He is part of the three-timers club. Three-time, three-time, three-time. Before I get into that, brother, first of all, I forgot to say, I'm going to shout out to Natman, dope song. Natman, shout out to uh, Nove, shout out to GP, shout out to Queston. Dope song, dope song. Looking forward to the album. Natman need to come up on here and need to talk about his album. You know what I'm saying? He need to come talk about the album. Now, as I was saying, um, the brother who was joining me, he's already been on here three, twice before. He came on to talk about the greatness that he does. He came on here to talk about the uh, Criterion speech by the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. So, if you happen to have forgotten this brother, which of course you didn't, I mean, for goodness sake, he was on 105.1 last night. Um, I'm sure you have seen him doing his thing, teaching somebody something, educating somebody about entrepreneurship, about the tenements of whatever out there is to teach because the brother's that smart. Allow me to reintroduce you to him. The brother's name is Dominic And. He is a traditional and social entrepreneur educator and consultant with the Racial Equity Institute. He served as a former administrative support assistant for the middle college at UNCG, where he taught college courses and assisted other teachers with curriculum instruction. He served as a youth representative for Melanin LLC, uh, organization in Genesis Baptist Church that hosts summer camps, mentorship programs, and other community outreach organizations that service youth living in low-income neighborhoods. His passion for assisting marginalized youth Somebody say marginalized youth? Get the book! Anyway, his passion for assisting marginalized youth I lost my place being silly. Okay. Encourage him to start a program called Brotherhood Breakfast, which gathers young black men together to share and navigate to share and navigate challenges they face in a race-conscious society. Dominic attended the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, where he received a bachelor's in sociology with a concentration in criminology and education and African-American diaspora studies. He also received a master's degree in sociology with a focus on race, criminal law, media, and entrepreneurship at the University of North Carolina in Greensboro. During the plight of his academic journey, Dominic was exposed to the anti-racist work of the Racial Equi Equity Institute, LLC, in 2015 and joined REI in 2018 with a commitment to raise awareness toward the impact of systemic discrimination and racial equality. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to ADQ's Renaissance for the third time. Please welcome my brother and your brother. Please welcome the internet, the intellectual actionaire himself, Mr. Dominic. Give him a hand. Yo, brother, what's up? Assalamu alaikum. 
Wale Salam, appreciate you, mother. Peace, 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 man. And ADQ, I appreciate you allowing me to be on here, not for the first, not for the second, but for the third time, man. It's an honor to be on the show, man. I appreciate the growth, and I appreciate everything you're doing, brother. Man, I appreciate you, man. You out here killing the game. You out here, well, I, I shouldn't say killing the game because when you kill something, it's dead. You are out here breathing so much life, brother. You're out here breathing so much life. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Praise you to the most high, man. That's that's just, that's just what I'm striving to do, man, is to be a light to somebody, you know. Speaking of the most high, um, I shared a couple of scriptures this morning <clears throat> in relation to who we're going to be talking about tonight, uh, Malcolm X. Um, I think one is like uh, from 1 Timothy 2 and 15, uh, the show, uh, study to show that self-approved. Hosea 4 and 6, my people suffer for lack of knowledge. Do you have a scripture uh, from Quran that would um, that would that would that would line up that correlate with uh, Malcolm X um, and his entire and his entire life? Because those two scriptures, I'm about to tell you why they correlate with me. Yeah, I, I would. Um, there's a scripture, a very short one in the Holy Quran that I think kind of matches up with Hosea four, um, which is my people will be lost due to a lack of knowledge. It is called the times. I think it's in chapter 103, if I'm not mistaken. And it's only three verses. It says, in the name of a lot of beneficent, the merciful, by the time, for surely man is lost, except for those who believe and do good deeds and exalt unto one another to truth and exalt unto one another to peace. Hosea 4, 6 also says that people will be lost due to a lack of knowledge. And it's not because they don't know the knowledge, it's because they reject knowledge and their creator will reject thee. And I correlate those two verses because it kind of shows that we will be lost in time, meaning that we'll be lacking knowledge because we're lost in time, because we've lost knowledge of ourselves and knowledge of time. Except for those who are understanding of what knowledge is, recognizes knowledge, what knowledge is, accept it and believe in that knowledge that they've been exposed to and the information and how it moves them spiritually and exalt into one another to the people who are lost in that knowledge to wake them up from being deaf, dumb and blind like Malcolm did and to exalt us into truth and to allow us to be patient with ourselves and with our people so we can actually come into the knowledge of ourselves so we will not be like the people in Hosea 4 that will be destroyed due to a lack of knowledge and rejecting knowledge when it's come to us because we are knowledgeable of the time in which we live brother that has Malcolm's story written all over it it really does <clears throat> you know I made the uh so in preparation for this, I've been listening to his speeches, been checking out some of the book, you know, powerful book. You need to have this. I know you have it, but uh, oh, anybody who's watching this, you need to have this book. But that was, that was half of my college experience right there. That book right there, the autobiography from Malcolm X. Man, and that, and that uh, actually, that speech played The House Negro, The Field Negro. I listened to that a month straight because um, I, I felt like I was like, you know, I'm in a I call it historically white college university. People call it PWIs, but I, I was in that institution. I kind of felt myself kind of having some of those house Negro tendencies. <laughs> and so I listened to that piece kind of like Malcolm was checking me. And so I, I listened to it repetitively. In fact, I went in like a silence. I didn't talk to people for, for a couple of days or I really kept my speech very limited because that speech and that book really spoke to my spirit and really shifted my paradigm and, and my political, social, and, and cultural ideologies. You know what? I will tell you, um, I whenever I uh whenever I listen to that speech, whenever I listen to what he's saying in that speech, I will check myself. I will say, uh, yo, am I house Negro? Yeah. Am I house Negro? 
out here saying, what's the matter, boss? We sick? We sick? Nah, um, <clears throat> we all had we all had that tendency due to the disconnection of our original culture, of our original roots that we have, and the westernization that has um that has taken place in our in our um in our spirits and whatnot. Well, not in our spirits, but in our uh, psyche, in our psyche, through, through the westernization. So a lot of us are unwilling house Negroes. You know something that you know something that I formed in my mind about uh, Brother Malcolm. So I find great amazement. I find great amazement and great inspiration at the fact that he was a hustler. Pimp, gambler, numbers man, thief, robber. Well, thief and robber is basically the same thing. But all that with the eighth grade education, right? And then he went to prison, educated himself, Hosea 4 and 6, uh, in your scripture. But he did all that and then he turned around and became this well renowned intellectual orator and whatnot. But you know something that you know something that I believe, Dominique. I believe, I believe that that is who he was, the whole all all along. I, I agree. Yep. See, one thing that we all could learn from that is, see, Malcolm, when he's around, when he, uh, Malcolm was a sponge. He reflected the type of the type of environments. That he was in. If you're in the, if you're in Detroit, around you know uh, hustlers and whatnot, he's gonna feel the need to hustle if he's not if he's not tall. Will, um, if he's around, if he's around thieves in uh, Harlem, he's gonna want to be a thief. You know what I'm saying? Got around brother, got around brother in jail who was spitting some science, something that something that just tapped into him mm-hmm. and that's where his journey into the nation of Islam began but can I can I interject for just a moment because I think there's some details about his childhood that I think we really have to highlight to understand the brilliance of Malcolm X and why he became such the great orator that he was keep in mind brother who his parents were his oh yeah they parents. were barbies so Malcolm would spend a good portion of his childhood listening to his father who also was a great orator preached the the philosophies of Marcus Garvey, who ran one of the largest black organizations at the time period in which he was alive. Also keep in mind that Malcolm X, even though, you know, his father was was killed by KKK members, right? Um, And his mother had to move around to get Malcolm into schools. He did go to an integrated school, and Malcolm talked about this. He went to one of the most integrated schools that a black person can go to at the time that he was growing up. And even though he only had an eighth grade education while he was in school, he was one of the top students in his class. Actually, he was voted for class president. His students, white students, nominated him to be the class president. And he actually had an aspiration and inspiration to become a lawyer. But then his teacher discredited him and actually encouraged him to be a carpenter. And I think that's what kind of shattered the spirit of Malcolm and kind of steered him away to go to the street life because he felt like the, the world that he was living in he was being limited. His intellect was being limited. So I think it was important to kind of say that coming out of the womb, Malcolm was destined for greatness, 
but because of the racist environment in which we live in we can clearly see that Malcolm did not have that opportunity to shine bro brother is still I think he left hopefully that brother come back I was going in on the on the on the brilliance of Malcolm let me check to see if that brother's gonna come back because I probably might have to run his show in just a moment and I probably will be running his show But also, I, I, I'll add this as as this brother's coming back, and I probably will appear on his show. Um, you know, one thing I appreciate about you know Malcolm X and his and his story is that his story really aligns to the everyday black person. And I think even to this day, when you read Malcolm X and my his story, it touches you in some different way. Like everybody probably didn't have the same background that Malcolm had but we can't relate to his struggle. And we all can relate to his resistance towards the white power structure. And so when I read his book, I found I, there was just an immediate connection. And I think it just got to the point where I, I really wanted to, to grow and to expand it. And a brother came back. I was just talking to this audience while you came back about why, why Malcolm just touches us so much. Because I think because of, of his story, you know, Malcolm didn't always live a righteous life. We all didn't always live a righteous life. But we've had the, the ability, if we were just put into the right space to have our talents, our intellect, our gifts to be exploited for the right reasons, it allowed us to shine and prosper. And Malcolm had that opportunity while he was in the nation, of course, at the end, um, it didn't turn out that way. Um, and you know, that, that can be discussed and there's many different reasons why it didn't turn out the way that it did, but Malcolm will forever be a living legend to us because of his story. And because, you know, he, he pretty much from, from, you know, turning his life around and becoming righteous and speaking the unspoken truth of the bottom of black America from, from that time that he had opportunity to, to raise himself on that platform with the nation to his assassination, he stayed true to that message. And I think that's why we love him so much because he does speak that that truth, that invisible truth that America tries to hide but desperately needs to hear. Well, uh, first of all, uh, I was asked for that. I forgot to tell you, um, my computer is uh, demon-possessed. And when it comes, and when powerful conversations like this is presented to it, it might want to act up a little bit. So if it, so if it does, Spit some, spit, spit some knowledge, and I'll be right back, brother. So, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, uh, Malcolm was called racist. Number one, racist, oh, racist, in as um, um, in the definition form, it is impossible for a black person to be racist. Mm -hmm. Um, Malcolm, uh, Minister Farrakhan. Any member of the Nation of Islam, you would say that the Nation of Islam and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad does not teach hate. It's just that the truth, the root of the truth that they are teaching, which is trying to get me, you, and all other Africans to realign with the culture that we have been ripped from, it sounds like hate because it's that nasty. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think what's interesting about um, 
Malcolm's story is when white media got a hold of it because you're right when Malcolm first came out he was not the most liked person in fact it kind of reminds me of of people in the nation of Islam particularly the honorable minister Louis Farrakhan that we people talk about him anti-semite separatist racist black supremacist this is what Malcolm was called and I think honestly if he if Malcolm were still alive today preaching the same message he'll be called a a, a patriarchal He'll be called a uh, sexist. He'll be called all different types of things, right? So you know, and, and, but now everybody loves Malcolm. Everybody wants to praise Malcolm, and, and the same folks that would critique him would praise him. And so I, I find it very interesting, you know, some 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 like the hypocritical nature. And, and some of these people are the most critics in terms of, of Malcolm's life and what he meant to the black community. It's like one minute you say that he's all these negative things, and then the next minute you're praising him, right? Especially like right. those who are white and. So white media in particular. So I, I just find it very interesting, right? How you, you didn't really like this man for the vast majority of his life, except for like the last four months when he actually talking about working with you, right? But still kind of kept that black nationalist ideology. So it, it was just, it's just really interesting to me. But but I, I do think anybody that speaks truth to power, regardless of your race and what organization that you're coming from, you're going to be a target, right? And, and we see that happening, especially when we talk about you know the you know the vaccine trials um issues going on with, with the war um in the middle east i mean it's just so many different things that could be said i'm not going to go into the depths of it because i don't want to get too too political but i think when you speak truth to power you're automatically going to be uh called out and, and isolated into a box right um due to mainstream media and their power and the control that they have and of course you can't be a racist because a racist means you have to intel power right and, and you know malcolm had a lot of power but he didn't have that social power to control the lives of people in, in the way that white America has power to control the lives of people that live in America. Brother, you still there? Okay, I'm going to allow him to, to, to keep his, his, his internet's going to get together, man. But yeah, I, I think we have to just be kind of transparent as we, we talk about the life of Malcolm X um, and, and just to acknowledge that he spoke a hard truth. But that's why people love him so much, because he, he spoke that hard truth. And I know a lot of folks didn't agree with him. He knew a lot of folks did not agree with him. However, a lot of folks couldn't deny some of the things that he was saying, especially when he was talking about the power structure that we're living in. And what's interesting is that when you look at some of his speeches, one of his most famous one is it's called The Ballad of the Bullet. And you just read it and you just study the context. You, you will really see that a lot of things that he said in that speech is so applicable to 2020, 2021. From a political standpoint, from an economic standpoint, and from the standpoint of really talking about the struggle of non-white people, specifically black people in America, black people are still living in very similar conditions that they were living in the 1950s and 60s, particularly the bottom 20% in America. There still is a cry of justice that is not being met by the powers that be, right? The, the United States government has still failed to really properly address the issues of black poverty in this country. You know, we, we have taken the power structure, right? And, and, you know, created all these different reports, the Monaghan Report, the Kerner Commissioners, right? The 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 uh, war on poverty, which will later become the war on drugs. We, we have taken all of these initiatives to try to really address the race question in this country. And what we've done is that we've reduced the issue that used to be systemic in terms of everybody understanding for a certain period of time that it was a systemic issue. 
And now what we've do, done is reduced it to a behavior phenomenon. What we're saying now is that the reason why people are living in the ghetto, the reason why people are, are, are struggling to make ends meet, the reason why people have poor education is because they choose to be in that position. And Malcolm said that that is far from the truth. There's been plenty of evidence to show that this is a systemic issue. How did black people end up in the ghetto? Why do black people go to the poorest schools, right? And I'm talking about the bottom 20% of black people, right? The poor one that's living under that federal guideline. Why are they in those conditions? They go, they live in the poorest neighborhoods because of Jim Crow segregation, redlining. Property taxes from those neighborhoods allow them to go to the poorest schools, right? Overcrowded, underfunded. They have the worst teacher turnover. So that means they're not getting a full educational experience. And we all know that when you don't have the full educational experience and you live in a high poverty neighborhood, you're more susceptible and a little more likely to join gang activities, to get involved with drugs, to get involved with teen pregnancy, right? Um, to, to get involved in all the negative aspects of well-being. And you end up in that cycle of poverty. It's this vicious cycle. And, and Malcolm X was talking about this constantly, constantly, constantly in the 1960s, mid-1960s. And what's crazy is that that message, even though King was saying the same thing, even though our black leadership has been talking about the same things, it seems to not really hold a dent in the collective consciousness in America. And that's why Malcolm stays relevant in 2021 is because he echoes the issues that are happening with the race problem in America. And the race problem in America, just like the 1950s, has still had that same echo and it has not budged. We have not collectively budged. What we've done is that we just socially got along a lot better. But we have not structurally, economically, and politically got along too well. In fact, we've kept the lines very much similar. The power dynamics very much similar. And I think Malcolm's speeches, once you listen to them, you will really see that he's actually speaking in today's time. It's like he was a prophet. Um, yeah, he was prophetic. Yeah, definitely prophetic. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you before Satan took over. Do you think Malcolm would uh what do you think Malcolm would have said about the vaccine? I think he would say what Elijah Muhammad and Minister Louis Farrakhan would say about the vaccine. Just don't take it. I mean, let, let's be honest, the nation of Islam stance and a lot of black people's stance, and it, it's not just the nation of Islam thing, it's not a black Muslim thing. A lot of black people are just very timid on vaccines since the polio vaccine, right? There, there's been evidence from the CDC. You know, I know people are following Rizla Islam who's being shadow banned on every single social media platform that we can think of right now. But they've had substantial evidence to show that these previous vaccines that black people have been taking has actually increased a lot of different diseases like autism, right? And the CDC actually did a report that actually said that there was a connection with previous vaccines given to black children that led to an increase in autism. I think it was over 500% from previous vaccines that were given to the black community, autism went up 500% within the last 40 years. So we have to really think about what's inside of these vaccines. I'm not saying that for me personally, being in the healthcare system, I understand the process of vaccines. And I understand that if it really goes through the proper trials, right, particularly from the FDA, you know, some of these vaccines can actually be beneficial to the well-being of people. I highly don't recommend taking vaccines in general, but if you want to make that choice for your well-being, there are some vaccines that are very useful and actually have gone through proper clinical trials. But a lot of these vaccines that are being marketed to us, like drug dealing, have not really gone through the proper trials. We're still, we're just undergoing the test runs of it. We really haven't really seen the dynamics and the efficiency of these vaccines. And you can clearly see that there's mixed reports coming out from the CDC, from Dr. Fauci, from various different people. So if you want to take the vaccine, go right ahead. 
And what and I love, what I love back, and going back to Malcolm, back to Malcolm what I love about Malcolm is he tried to talk sense to us. Yeah. He tried to warn us about things like that because because a lot of us with this uh, miseducated, westernized mindset, um, we hear a pop a large populace of people saying something, and we hold that as truth. We mistake with we mistake universal truth with mass appeal. But yeah. before Satan got into my computer, we agreed that the masses during Malcolm's time were not in favor. We're not were not in favor of him. I love him when he, I love him when he called the march on Washington the farce on Washington because yeah. when you think about it, that's exactly what it was. It was a farce. He, he said they're doing too much swinging, singing, and not enough swinging. That's another thing. He he taught ballot or the bullet. He yeah. okay. I'm gonna say this. I have a lot of friends who are white liberals. If this offends you, I am sorry. But there is truth to what Brother Malcolm said about this. He did not speak very kind. He did not speak highly of the white liberals. He said the only difference between the white liberals and the white conservatives is the white liberals are the ones that are posing as our friend. Now, now, if you're white liberal, if you're a white liberal and you happen to catch this, I want you, I want, I want you to ask yourself before you get all, before you get your pains in the drunk, before you get your pains in the bunch, I want you to ask yourself, why did Malcolm, why did Brother Malcolm feel the need to say something like that? Mm-hmm. Is that me? Not, not me, me, not me, ADQ, but you. If you're a white liberal. Ask yourself, is that you? Are you the snake in the grass? Are you the one that is using your whiteness to mentally trap the further the mental trapping of black people? You know what I'm saying? And yo, Dom, and yo, Dominique, I'm gonna tell you something else, something that I noticed from the movie, right? Um, I'm quite sure that you all in the nation of Islam don't view the movie uh very highly. But there's one thing that I noticed out of the movie that I loved. It's one thing that I noticed out of the movie that makes you look at Malcolm's movement and Martin's movement, right? And make you ask yourself, which one is really the more successful one? I would say that uh, I would say that the Nation of Islam, because I looked at the movie, right? You had people who heard Mal- who heard Martin Luther King's crap. This was during the scene when they marched to the hospital because uh, Brother Johnson was beat up by the police, right? I'm sure you've seen the movie. Um, So, fruit of Islam, right? Marching, discipline, quiet. They said, we will not get violent and loud unless we have to, right? Yet, the protesters, they was the one doing all the screaming and all the shouting and stuff, right? So when you look at the black community today, here in 2021, which group has actually been more fruitful and successful in their endeavors? I would say the fruit of Islam. First, let me just comment, because I want to go back to the vaccine, because I got cut off talking about the vaccine. Oh, sorry. You make a, yeah, you make an educated decision about that vaccine. You know what I'm saying? If, if you, 
just you have to deal with the consequences that may come from taking it but if you feel like it's a safe route for you you know so be it so i'll just say that so that that's just that's what i i i i'm 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 personally staying away from i'm gonna listen to to the honorable minister louis farrakhan on this one i'm gonna just stay away from it but if you want to make that personal choice you know so be it right um because you only you understand your circumstances and you have uh enough research at, at your disposal to really see if it's a safe vaccine or not so i'm gonna just pause it there i want to make sure i complete that statement and close that chapter um because i you know in case when people want to go back and, and look at some of the statements that I made about the vaccine. The second thing is that, um, you know, when, when it comes to figuring out what's, we have to ask ourselves this question when it comes to gaining power within your community, right? Do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? And, and, I, and I think what we do when we look at movements that have happened, that have kind of like birthed out of some of these moments of struggle, and moments of, of, of power dynamics happening um, in America is, I don't think there's a right way of doing things because what we see is that when both of those tactics were being executed, the powers that be always figured out a way to stop it. What I, what I think you're saying is that the, the, the military structure of the nation of Islam was more effective in its own way compared to the non-violence demonstration of Martin Luther King, I think both of them were actually successful. I think both of them actually provided a, a power outlet for the black community to advance. I think that's why we're in the position that we're in right now because both of those movements exactly existed at the same time. I think there's just a time period where we need to be more structured and militant like the nation. And there's a time period where we need to have non-violent demonstrations. And I think we've seen over a period of time that we've actually evolved into that within the last five or six decades. So I, I think both of them were effective in their own. I don't think one is more right than the other, you know, and, and I want to be transparent about that because I don't want to say that Martin Luther King's work was not effective, was extremely effective. I, I, I totally think it was effective. I just think Martin Luther King had a wake up call when he realized that this goes way beyond just changing a few policies and winning the hearts of white people. There's power structures that are set up that are keeping people structurally locked in to their social positions, right? And if you don't meet that criteria of social status, you're not gonna make it in America. And it's the cycle, right? These, these systems are set up to keep people in cycles of dependency, cycles of powerlessness, right? And I think King was coming into that awakening. And so when he realizes that though his nonviolent demonstrations were very effective, some of the things that he saw the nation doing and other young people who were starting to organize and demonstrate some of those kind of very structured, you know, tactical ways of, of massive power demonstrations. King started leaning towards doing more of those demonstrations himself before he was assassinated. So uh, again, my, my answer to that is that, you know, we have to evolve in understanding the power of both of those entities and how they were able to demonstrate power and to bring power within the community and to bring justice in the community when, you know, those when one tactic fails, right? Because I think nonviolence had its, had its run, but I think there's sometimes where we actually need to be a little bit more structured and militant and to organize and to, and to do some type of, of um, a demonstration that's really gonna challenge power with power, if that makes sense. It does, it does, it does. Like, like the white supremacy that has taken place with a more unified, a more unified front that's saying, hey, if you, I'll put it this way, I'll put it this way. Uh, this is gonna sound like, this is gonna sound like a very silly example, but this won't thank you. 
So um, a few weeks ago, me, me and a friend, we were hiking, right? And a, a goose bucked up again, bucked up against us, right? And his, because his chicks was right behind him, right? So I took, so I took from that in parallel to you all, to what you're saying, you come with force, we're going to come with force and we ain't going to back down. Yeah. That's all. It's just the fearlessness that needs to be. And like I said, nonviolence demonstration also a show of fearlessness. But you know, but it, but there's but there is another sense of power in terms of the environment that you see happening with Malcolm where, where organized the fruit of Islam, right? To do certain demonstrations. And so that that, that is 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 both of them are um examples of fearlessness that's just done in different ways and their tactics are very different. And I think they both need to be studied and understood. Right, um, by, by, by black people, especially in our time period, who are trying to figure out a way to challenge power. So I got a question. So I got a question for you. <clears throat> is it true that um, is it true that um, in Malcolm's uh, in Brother Malcolm's uh, final days, he he was actually trying to get back into the nation of Islam? Uh, yes, there, there are um, tapes and records uh, that show that that Malcolm was uh, trying to. You know, air some of the fires that that was kind of created, but it's by the tensions between the nation and himself. Um, and there was actually, from my understanding, my research, that actually uh, Elijah Muhammad was heavily considering letting him come back in. He just had to, you know, as as, as said by um, Dr. Wesley Muhammad and, and the the research team in the Nation of Islam that if he just, you know, make a speech to kind of blow out some of the fires that he created and and, and some of the things that he said about Elijah Muhammad. There, there will be uh, a welcoming of him back into the nation of Islam. So there, there was some some private conversations, some recorded conversations of Malcolm having interest in coming back into the nation of Islam. So yes, and he, he was starting to feel that pressure um, the more and more that he was uh, coming into a rise. Because you got to remember, what one thing people don't understand is that Malcolm's reach was a very expansive. Like he was, he was starting to talk to a lot of leaders in Africa, a lot of leaders in the Middle East, and they were actually supporting him and backing him. So he had a huge target on his back. So Malcolm knew that he needed that security. He needed to be in a space where he can be fully protected because he was definitely becoming big. It's big to the point where um, people wanted to get rid of him. And uh, if you actually go back and, and I don't know if people are familiar with this, but the daughter of, of Malcolm X actually just uh, got with attorney Ben Crump and actually did a press statement and released a letter of an agent that worked with the NYPD and they provided a letter actually, you know, demonstrating and him actually saying in his deathbed, this letter that I think he gave to his son, confirming the FBI and the NYPD were co-conspirators in the assassination of Malcolm X. And they actually planned that. You know, uh, Dick Gregory once, Dick Gregory once said that um, the people who so-called assassinated him, the, 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 the brothers, they were firing blanks at him. All the shots that all the shots that killed him came from up top. It was the CIA that it was the CIA that killed him. Yeah, I, I can't I, I can't confirm that. I have to continue to do my own research, so I won't speak on that. But I do know that that letter was released. I would just encourage people to follow the daughter of Malcolm X, um, and she and look at her videos, right? Because she she's been on a lot of um, media channels, white media channels, with this letter affirming 
that you know the man that um was working for the agent i can't think of his name right now but the agent that was working for the nypd actually confirmed that the fbi and the um, nypd were co-conspirators and they have been planning the assassination of malcolm x at that time and that they were very much involved into his assassination that, that, that day that happened at the auto ballroom and so um i would encourage people to to look at that and to study that um you can actually connect the dots with who killed malcolm x um at the very end and um the the individual that made that video he actually um, identified who who the trigger man was in terms of the sawed off um but the other men that were there with him um their identities are are, are still if i'm not mistaken um i think they were named eventually and i and identified um but there were actually two men who were falsely accused of assassinating malcolm x and actually served time who are part of the nation of islam too so it's a, it's a lot of it's a lot of mess in there and it's a lot of misinformation that's been said about him but the people who are actually there um, are coming out with letters in their deathbed, um, kind of affirming that the, the, the co-conspirators of, of Malcolm X's assassination um, was the FBI and the NYPD, um, which, you know, is, is not a surprise to me. But I know for a lot of people, they needed that information because there's a lot of there's still a lot of smoke with who really killed Malcolm X and who was really behind that and who the trigger men were. Um, and I think it's important for us to do our research to really get that clarity. Because Malcolm X, I mean, he means so much to us. Even to, I mean, the point that even, you know, two or three generations later, we're still talking about what happened to him, right? And just the impact that he had on our lives. So it's, it's important for us to have that closure and to really figure out who's really responsible for his death. Like I said earlier, say this show ourselves self-approved, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, um... Now... I still think I, I still think it's amazing of how he was able to he was able to just shun and shun the hustler the debaucherous lifestyle of which he came from in prison find it find Islam like it like a lot of us it's so hard for us to like take to let go of our vices. Um, which then, which at the same time, you know, when you look at Malcolm, when you look at Malcolm's background, you know, you connect the dots, you know, parents were Garveyites, not only that, but Malcolm wanted to be a lawyer. Um, so if you want to be a lawyer, of course, you got to do a whole lot, you got to do a whole lot of reading. So perhaps when you went to jail, he was already a profound reader. So he opened some, so he opened some books and that's how he started the process of becoming the intellectual that he that he has become. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think the the things that made me really respect Malcolm, and this is what I learned from his book. He said that the, the things that he carried with him, because he got up four or five o'clock in the morning, you know, said his prayers, and that's how he started his day. He says he usually would start his morning with tea with the watch because he wanted to make sure that he was mindful of time, right? And that he understood the value of time and how he used it, utilized his time. And he always kept a good book with him. Because Malcolm understood the power of education. And I, th I think he said, education is the, the passport to the future. And, yeah. and tomorrow belongs to those who prepare for it today. Uh, I think that's what he said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, if I'm not mistaken. I, no, I, you I are, you are right you're right with it. Yeah, so it's, so, Malcolm knew that information was important, 
just like today, information is important. I mean, we're in the age of information, so it's very easy to manipulate information. But if you have enough information in your brain, especially information that can be applied, information that speaks to the truth, information that can change the paradigm and the consciousness of the collective, then you're in a very good space. And I think it's really good to be knowledgeable about multiple things that's happening. And, and I respect Malcolm because, you know, that's what lawyers do. They, they study everything. They, they, they study their own stance on, on things. They study their opposition and then they come to a conclusion based upon the facts that they have in front of them. Um, so I think Malcolm was very, um, not only truth telling, but he understood what the opposition, you know, who the people who disagreed with him, he understood how they thought the books that they read because he read those books. I think he's probably read more books than, than a PhD. And you can clearly see that when Malcolm was on the stage talking to people who had high academic statuses, master's degrees, PhDs, you can clearly see that they couldn't even intellectually handle him because he was able to, to use his intellect, but yet his simplicity to kind of tear down some of their um, ideological frameworks and academic framework. Yeah, I mean, this guy with the eighth grade, this guy with the eighth grade education could go toe to toe with uh, some of the sharpest minds uh, possible. Um, and it kind of it kind of makes you wonder: Are their minds really sharp, or are they are they just you know suffering from from education overload, and and they're just kind of talking, but they're not really connecting dots, or they're not really using information that is simple enough for a common person to understand and to use to to move places. You see, I I think you know anybody can have you know information to their disposal. But it's very hard for someone to have knowledge that can be applied and used to organize people and to move people in a certain direction. Those are two types of different people. The knowledgeable person and the intellect. It's just, just two totally different people and how they walk in this earth. And, and I think wisdom gives you ability to, to take that information that you apply and, and to create experiences from that, that either advance you or teach you valuable lessons about your human experience that allow you to push forward and to teach others and to show them ways that they can actually advance themselves as they go through those similar struggles that you just went through in your experiences. Tell me this, what did you think? Uh, I'm going to get back on the movie. Uh, what, did you, what did you think of the movie, the Spike Lee movie? Um, I, I appreciate the artistic value that Spike Lee provided. I've watched that movie several times. You know, it, it, it's hard to get black people, anybody in general, to watch a three-hour movie about a man that's had such an impact on our lives. You know, um, I just want people to keep in mind that the movie is for entertainment, but it's not for, you know, a factual understanding of Malcolm's life, you know, because there, there's a lot of characters that were added in, fictional characters added in to kind of close the, or to kind of, to kind of create, you know, um, drama, because it's, it's labeled as drama, right? So mm -hmm. fictional characters were created, like the people who exposed him to the nation, um, some people who were, you know, his friends, a lot of people were left out, you know, who were in autobiography were left out, you know, and Spike Lee even tells you like, look, I'm, I'm creating a drama. I'm creating this, this movie is solely for entertainment, right? If you want to get the facts, read the book, right? Study the FBI files, you know? So Spike Lee did his homework, but we have to keep in mind that he exaggerated aspects of Malcolm to create this drama. So I don't look at it as an aspect of, of, of a factual replica of Malcolm's life. I just look at it as what it is, is entertainment. And Denzel Washington playing Malcolm, I mean, that was just iconic, you know, very, very iconic. And look who funded the movie too. That's That also was said a lot about, you know, are we gonna really tell an actual true picture of what happened to Malcolm X? You know? 
Um, among, among the names listed in the movie, I saw Michael Jordan, also, also, I remember reading a review about Malcolm X about the movie, and it was talking about how Denzel Washington is shorter and darker than uh, Mal- than Malcolm was. Either way, he still did his thing. I, I think he still did his thing, you know. And and like I said, that even the daughter of Malcolm X even said that Denzel did a good job. I mean, of course, he cannot be Malcolm. Denzel is not Malcolm. Mm. You know, she said that just certain aspects of Malcolm's mannerism that just cannot be duplicated by anybody, regardless of how many play people play Malcolm. And a lot of people play Malcolm, but I think Denzel is just one of the most talented black male actors that we have in the industry right now. He's top tier. Yeah. So if you put him in any movie, he's gonna perform because that's what Denzel does. He's a, he's an actor. He's a he's a great class A actor, right? So he he's gonna give you a, a performance. He's gonna give you a film, right? So I, I think that you know um, a lot of people are going to remember Denzel Washington for playing Malcolm X at that time period in the '90s when that movie was released because it was a wonderful film altogether, even though it wasn't 100% factual. It was a great film, and Denzel was the perfect person to play that, regardless of his height and his skin color. He gave us a great Malcolm. Um, in regard, I will. I, I will also say, the movie dropped like back in '92 when I was like seven years old. Yeah. First time I saw it. First time I saw it, I said a tear. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, I, I, I've seen that, and I've seen some independent documentaries on Malcolm, and I, I think because I was I was 21 when I started reading the autobiography of Malcolm X, saw, saw the movie and all of that, because I was I was just born when that movie came out, so you know I, I didn't even see it till later on when I got older, but um, yeah, I, I did too, man, because you know you hear that story, it's such an iconic individual, right? It has touched your lives in so many ways. It has, has you know shifted your paradigm about the racial world that you live in in so many different ways um a humanitarian in so many different ways that it, it just it, i don't know everybody i think everybody bought malcolm x classes at the moment that they woke up and understand the brilliance and the iconic nature of this man and so um i think i think if you if you didn't share a tear looking at if, if you're black and you didn't shed a tear looking at malcolm x then you know that i think that you know, something else has to probably hit you to get you to understand the true struggle and the fight to really see black people prosper. Because I really do want to see black people prosper. Even if black people want to see themselves prosper, I do want to see them prosper because of just the the the, the um, struggle, right? And, and the pain and the suffering that black people had to endure, right? Um, some people say that, you know, the, the, the crimes that happen on black people since they've been to America is... Is, 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 is one of the, the most original, um, it, well, actually, it's one of the most horrific documented tragedies that's happened to the human experience outside of, you know, the indigenous people, what, what happened to the aboriginal people in Australia, you know, the Jewish people. Right now, we're experiencing what's happening with, with the Palestinians. I mean, it's just so many acts of genocide, the Rwanda genocide, what happened in Haiti. You know, American slavery is definitely on that list of one of the most um, horrific human tragedies happened to a group of people and the way that it was done right because we were still seeing the residue of american slavery happen to black people and, and to just know that to have a consciousness of that and to know that your people are suffering because of that residue i mean it's just a pain that 
all of us who are conscious that run want to see better have to bear and to see one of your your warriors your, 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 uh, a warrior scholar like Malcolm X and many others who were inspired by him to just die the way that he died be assassinated when he being assassinated but just solely speaking the truth and really trying to empower folks it's a sad reality because we see it happening to so many different leaders uh, just leaders getting knocked off in the 60s solely because they were speaking the truth People are scared of the truth, man. Um, this, um, we live in a world that thrives over lies. So the truth is the truth to those who appreciate life. The truth is a threat. And when they hear the truth, it's like it's like the mission in, in keeping us blinded, keeping, us, keeping our chain, our minds chained, has been usurped. So you get you get outspoken warrior to go out there, get the power. They gotta get rid of them. They gotta wipe them out. That's why, unfortunately, Malcolm didn't even live to see didn't live to see his force. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just a lot, of, a lot of our leaders, young leaders, just taking out two hours with, you know, mega efforts. Martin Luther King was only 39. I mean, it's, it's just so many, you know. And, and, and a lot of them did get assassinated, but a lot of them got, you know, you know, kind of scared out, you know, exiled some of them. There were a few Black Panthers, but Kwame Torrey was exiled, Shot of Security was exiled. So it just, just happens to happen, you know, if they couldn't get C and C through. Killing you or incarcerating you, definitely like the country. And so that's the thing. We still have a lot of people out of prison, you know, and inside of our prison system. A lot of them are still there, you know. It's 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 a it's a heavy thing. We had an opportunity to release them last year, right? Right. That didn't happen. Uh, Dominic, uh, we're going further. Uh, you're trying to get a little sad, you guys. Say it again. Trying to get a little sad here again. Everything all good. Trying to get a little wet, a little wet. It's all good, man. That devil's working to keep the power from happening. Okay, okay. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? I can hear you, but I can't say it. Yeah, it was yeah, in now. Good now. Good now. Good now. Uh, say. Um, I can't do it. Say black power. All right, black power. Black power. Is there, is there good, good. Uh, still a little sad, man. Sad, man. I'm sorry. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Go ahead and ask me a question. question. I'm here. Okay. So, like I said, yo, um, <clears throat> Malcolm X's life is very influential. All they did, um, the way that he came into his conscious mindset mm-hmm. is an example of what can happen when we pick up a book. 
when you turn off the phones and stuff and pick up a book, this book, this book. Hey, <laughs> this book, A Marginalized Voice. When we pick up, when we pick up a book, study to show that self approved. That's why Do- that's why Brother Dominic here is the intellectual individual that he is today. Look, I'm looking at a library right behind you, brother. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I encourage people to read, and the reason why I read so much is because, you know, one one book that re- also transformed my life was reading the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. Right, um, you know the light. You know, reading his autobiography, reading um, the stories of you know the narratives of a slave girl, um, reading Harriet Tubman's story, just reading about the events happening in slavery. You know, they made it against the law for black people to read. Yeah, and right. Yeah, like they would literally cut your tongue out, right? And your fingers off. Yeah, cut your finger. Like they, they would just do so many different things, just so you couldn't read, like because. They knew that if you had knowledge, you had enough information that can be applied to wake up other people's awareness. Which if they had awareness and they really understood the power dynamics and if they changed it, if they, if they just challenged it with, through, a, through a collective understanding that something isn't right here, that their condition is wrong, you know, waking up the deaf, dumb and blind, then it, it's automatically gonna create revolution and change. And so they, so, so people knew the power of information because because they can they can subjugate your body, but they can't take away your mind. They can't break your spirit. You know, if you know the most powerful thing, I think Biggie said this too. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. It is, right? Because again, they they can they can take away your house. They can take away all the things that really matter in your well being. But if you got this, you can make some things happen. And, and and I've seen some things happen. That's why I have so many books behind me. Is because I, I don't want to take knowledge for granted. And I remind myself is that I may not read all these books. Maybe this information will come to me in many different ways. Because I know we have YouTube now. And, you know, we, we have many different ways that we can absorb and take in information and process information. But nonetheless, I want to have these books because I, I, I'm, I'm, this is not just for my existence. It's for the next generations to come to really understand the power of reading. You know, the power of feeding your mind, the way you feed your body. Right, the the way that you you know feed aspects of the earth, you gotta feed yourself, you gotta feed your spirit, man. So I, I highly encourage reading, especially for black people, because your ancestors couldn't read; it was against the law for them to read, because Not they knew the law. people people of power to be. They knew that if you have enough information inside your head and you can connect the dots, you're a very dangerous person, because they can't control you now. Right? I think the first step to freedom is through the mind. So read and free that mind. Because the moment that you, you know, because Frederick Douglass said, <laughs> he said, I used to pray to God, right, to answer my prayers. But I realized that God didn't answer my prayers until I moved my feet. Mm. When you read and you got your mind made up, your prayers can be answered because the information inside your head is going to tell you one day you just need to make a move and be the answer to your own prayers. And so I'll leave it there, man. First of all, that's a scripture. Uh, it's in James. You know, uh, my, uh, uh, faith without works is dead. Yeah. Number two, would you agree with this? Would you agree that a lot of issues um, that affect the way that the mind works when we get to later, when we get to the latter ages of life, 
would you agree that a lot of the issues could be alleviated if we like exercise our brains throughout our lives by reading yeah i mean and all you really need to do is uh, read 15 to 20 pages a day and, and you don't have to be like a everybody reads differently right it's really based upon how you process information right like how do you process information if you read the same five pages every single day how do those five pages shift the way that you think about the world that you live in you know so you know it's important to read books right but i really am curious about how you process the information for the books that you're reading that's just as important to me as it is reading a whole bunch of books because you can read a whole bunch of books and not really learn anything you just have a lot of information in your head but you haven't really connected dots and created a concrete and thorough analysis on how that information can move you and move the people that you come in contact with you know so if you read something bro you can read anything but if it, if it doesn't make sense to me and you don't really quite understand it that means that you need to go back and read that and develop a better analysis so you can walk this world with a different insight than you did before you started reading that book so again i i, I you know i tell people like read to understand don't just like read it just to read it like really process that you know sometimes i spend a month reading the book just one book you know that that means i'll probably read 12 a little over 12 books a year right but if i can gain a lot from that one book i would sound a lot better than someone that's reading two or three books a month and they're not really saying anything yeah like there's a big difference between reading and looking at words <laughs> yeah what you don't want to do is look at words. What you want to do is just read, see what is the message that the author is trying to convey. Yes. And take from there, like a cup, like one of the thing, one of the main things that I have learned from reading the biography of Malcolm X is he was his mother and father's lightest uh, child. Yes. And his and his red hair, I'm assuming was um, was passed down to him because his grandfather was a white man who raped his mother, who raped yes. his grandmother to uh, form his mother. Yes. Another thing that I learned that was interesting is that is that Malcolm is that brother Malcolm was actually his dad's most favorite child. Due to him being his lightest child. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say favorite. I'm not too sure. But I know that there was a... Uh, and I can't confirm that because it's been a long time since I read the book. But I know he treated Malcolm differently than he treated his dark-skinned brother and sister. Okay, so it, it might be it now. I'm not too sure. Um, but I, I do know this. I know that because Malcolm was lighter-skinned, that he did treat Malcolm differently. And that the mother actually had to punish Malcolm the father just wouldn't punish him the same way that his mother would punish them you know so i, I mean i'm gonna bring this up i mean we, we can't ignore the fact that colorism exists within our community it exists i was just about to say something about colorism but go ahead i'm sorry yeah yeah it, it exists bro and it's not just in the black community it's in every community latinx people deal with the asian people deal with it but i do want to focus on our community for just a moment we have an issue with colorism right um and, and typically lighter skin black people you know we just experience this world a lot differently than darker skinned black people do. And we have to acknowledge, we have to be transparent about that. You know, I know amongst each other, we have those conflicts amongst one another, you know, but when we're talking about dealing with 
the, the overall world and how we navigate it's a totally different dynamic that that, that skin color um, variation does make you navigate a lot differently you know and even the way that we treat one another right based on that, that color coordination really has to be addressed and thought about now i'm not saying that all light-skinned people have favor in the black community and they just walk differently and see differently some of them catch hell from black people and you know there's some darker skinned people that might not really have that that experience with colorism as they walk through the community but but overall generally speaking there is a lighter skin darker skin issue that has to be addressed and the color line only exists because we live in a society we live in a world a western world that says the lighter is better darker is worse you know and we've internalized that so so part of our work is that we got to deal with the trauma of colorism we got to deal with the trauma of of classism right we got to deal with the trauma of all of these different things but we think that because we're you know we're lighter or we got more money or that we live in this community or we have access to these certain material possessions that we got something over those who don't have it that's in our same community when when really you know compared to the white world they don't care how much degrees that you have they don't care how you look they don't care how smart you are to them you're still black and you still don't step on their toes you still don't try to act like you're above them. You got authority over them, right? Because this is their world. And they'll let you know in subtle ways that this is their world. And I'm not saying all white people are like that, but there are quite a few that think subconsciously like that. Uh, I want to get to that white, to the, to, the, to the white point that you brought up in a second, but I do want to say that, okay, so you're a lighter, so you're a lighter, younger, young, younger man with a fresh yeah. cut, clean shape. <laughs> Yes. Mm-hmm. Me, I'm darker, got lots, bearded, right? Brothers, though. We brothers. Absolutely. We, um, both of us walk down, both of us walk down the street, two two cop cars come up, they're gonna get both of us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Also, also, however, both of us are educators, black mm-hmm. kids listen to both of us. Yeah. They going uh that's gonna inspire them. So yeah. we yeah. need to feel colorism. My uh, sister yeah. my sister is lighter than you are, brother. So wow. we need to colorism because um it takes plantation mentality to separate black people because of color. Two two black people, uh two black people who are of my complexion can get together and make make a black person who is Wired than white people. So we all come from semiology and it's stupid to uh, separate to hate each other because we're darker or lighter. So I'm calling for a I'm calling for an end to colorism. Yeah, yeah. And and I think we and I think our generation is handling it a lot better than, yeah. than previous generations have been. I'm not saying that those issues don't come up. They do come up, right? They yeah. definitely come up and they show up, right? And it's, and it's been propagandized to us in so many different ways, but I think we do handle it a lot better and we're looking past that. And, and I feel it every time I'm around my people, like, you know, when we're around each other, we're really talking about some serious stuff. We do look past that color line, you know? So, yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful thing. And now, uh, as far as white people go, um, when I've, uh, when I've seen in interviews and stuff where Malcolm, uh, where Brother Malcolm was kind of like softening softening his criticism of white culture, right? 
not white supremacy, but, but white people at large. And when he uh, started Muslim Mosque Incorporated, he said white people can help us just Well, no. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, he, he said that he didn't mind working with white organizations. His, his main priority was to create some black unity first before he started unifying with everybody else. So, you know, we're going to always have all, when you speak the truth, friends of all races, ethnicities, nationalities are going to come to you because they respect the truth that you speak, right? So when you speak generally about a group of people, that means you're not individualizing. And I think people have to understand that. You know, when Malcolm spoke generally about white culture or white supremacy, he was literally talking about the culture and the ideology. But he noticed there's some white people who have resisted that. White people always resisted aspects of white supremacy, aspects of white organizational culture, right? A racist, you know, um, country that, that has been developed. No, a country has been developed based upon a racist history, right? So, so white people have always wanted to work with Malcolm. White people have always really respected Malcolm, even though he has said a lot of things about, you know, the white power structure. And so when, when Malcolm made those remarks, what he was really saying is that, of course, I'm going to work with white people. Of course, there's always been white people that want to work with me. I'm willing to open myself up to that now. I just want to make sure that black people are organized and prepared to deal with, you know, um, other white people, because what we... What we saw is that when black people rush to work with white people and we're not organized, what's going to happen is that white people are going to end up taking over because they're more organized. Like that's happened so many times, right? We, we see that there's so many different scenarios in which that has happened. And sometimes we can't blame white people for that. Sometimes we got to look at ourselves because we are very unorganized. So I, I respect what Malcolm was getting. He says, I don't mind working with white people as long as we're really addressing the core issues and that there's some unity within black people so we can actually hold our own and make sure that we're getting just um, respectability and distribution of resources and wealth and power that, that typically white people already have. And a lot of white people don't have to work for that because it's already been set up for them, right? They just have to you know, do a little bit of work, organize, follow protocol, and they're good to go. Power's gonna flow in a direction in favor of them. So when they wanna help us, they just know that they're already coming with a power dynamic. Right, we have to make sure that we have our own together as well. So I respect Malcolm saying that. And, and, and like I said, I'm not opposed to working with white people who really want to, you know, really address these, these structural realities that we're living in. But I want to make sure that, you know, my people and other non-white people who really want to see change, we come correct. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, like um, when I saw Malcolm saying, saying that, Knowing the Pan-African that he is at heart, knowing that he has the well-being of us in mind and at heart, when he said that, I was like, okay, okay. Okay, that's where I'm at with it. You know, I got some white friends. Mm -hmm. I uh I am I applaud white people who participate in the struggle. Participate, not lead, participate. But at the end of but at at heart and at the end of the day, I have the best interest of my people um number one. Like I want to make sure that my house being my black me, me being black, I wanna make sure that that's in order. Because like 
I'm not a fan of integration, but I am a fan of diversity. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not like I don't believe in assimilating to the law into the mainstream society and trying to fit in. That's integration. Diversity though is me taking everything that makes me me into different houses on a different society and saying, yo, well, what y'all got here? And learn something. Diversity in this course is a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's a topic for another uh, <laughs> discussion right there. And yeah, like I said, I, I think it'll be hard to live in a world where we don't coexist with people who come from different racial backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, different national backgrounds. Like I said, I'm just all about people having power within themselves and their communities to control their reality and their existence. I'm all for that. So if we can create some type of cross-racial, cross-ethnic, cross-national um, solidarity amongst each other where people can have a sense of their own power have control of their own resources and can determine the the politics and the economics of their community and we can all coexist within that i have no issues with that whatsoever i just think that when uh, a dependency is created for one community towards another right yeah, due to reality, that's the problem because you know we can't talk about unity if one person has all the power and this group is disempowered because this person is power ordering right so i i I don't disagree with that. And I think we need to come to a space because, you know, rather it's integration, separation, diversity, whatever we call it, people in these communities who are suffering, who are oppressed are lacking power. And and the reason why they're lacking power because another group of people has found comfort in power hoarding and has normalized that. So we need to find some type of balance of power, right? Because I don't think we can come together as equals until everyone has control over their own lives control over the politics and economics in their community and actually has say so in the political process for everybody. And that's why and that's why Brother Malcolm was was preaching separatism. So we can get among ourselves and build ourselves up. Not saying not just don't not throwing the middle finger up at all other groups, but to to give to get to ourselves channel what made us kings and queens and history makers and innovators in Africa and get that popping before we, you know, cohabitate with other the other societies. So as we start so as we start to wrap up wrap up here, Dominic, um where do you see where do you see your inspiration and love Brother Malcolm taking you as the future goes by, as the future as the as time goes on, Mr. Intellectual Action there. Yeah, um, when I study Malcolm, I, I try to I try to especially with in the space that I'm in right now, I try to study Malcolm for the not only for the greatness that Malcolm brought to us, but to study him as a human being. You know, Malcolm wasn't perfect, just like all of our leaders, they weren't perfect. Right. So when you study them, study the great work that they've done, but also study some of the mistakes that they made, because we're faced with the same challenges that Malcolm is facing right now. And actually, those challenges are a little different, a little bit more sophisticated than the times that Malcolm was living in. So when I when I when I look at Malcolm, I really study Malcolm objectively. I study his movement. I study his power. I study how he was able to transform his life. Um, and I and I studied some of the mistakes that he made, some of the decisions that he made. I really analyzed them. And as I move forward, I want to make sure that I'm learning, right? Because, you know, I tell people, what's the what's the best way to learn something in life? 
through other people. I mean, what's the best teacher in life? Excuse me. Your experience or learning from other people's experience. Both of them are great teachers, but you'll be most effective when you learn from other people's experience, right? Because the definition of insanity is to what? To repeat the same things, hoping for a different result. Exactly. And if we're in the same situation that we study other people go through and they did this and this was the end result and it wasn't effective, if we do the exact same thing that that person did, then by an intellectual standpoint, we're intellectually insane, right? So we cannot continue to do the same things that was done in the past, hoping for a different result to happen, right? We got to be able to shake things up. We got to be more creative than that, right? So if anything, I learned from Malcolm is that I'm going to continue to study his greatness. He still has a huge impact on my life to this day in terms of really understanding and having a deeper love to the condition of Black people and a love for Black people. But I'm also going to study him in terms of understanding, well, what were some mistakes that he made or what were some missteps that he had had experienced that would allow him that what I that I think personally would have furthered his movement had he would have done this. Because believe it or not, Malcolm, his courage was very unique in the time period in which he was alive. And he stepped into spaces that I don't think a lot of black people would have stepped in and he spoke truth that I don't think a lot of black people would have spoke at that particular time period. And that's what makes him so special because the way that he did it and how he did it. And I think a lot of folks who came after him was able to evolve from the platform that he started from the foundation that he started. And so um, that's why that's why he's so pivotal because many of our, our leaders today have really learned from from the platform and from the fearlessness and from the character of Brother Malcolm X. Yes, yes indeed, yes indeed. <clears throat> like Malcolm X, I mean, uh, David Banner made a dope song titled Malcolm X and the Honorable Minister Farrakhan, you know, he once served upon the uh, Brother Malcolm. Yeah. Now before we now before we shut this down real quick, well actually take your time, but at your at your at your own pace. What's uh tell tell the people about intellectual action there? Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe drop all that and talk about intellectual action there. So um right now the intellectual action there it is my personal branding business. I do also do digital marketing, so my personal branding and digital marketing consultant right now at this moment. Um, I'm helping teachers, artists, and entrepreneurs build up online digital brands um, that they can either monetize or make more uh, massive community impact. You know, Brother Ben says um, the the what's better than making passive income, which for a lot of people who become entrepreneurs is kind of like a result that they want to experience in life, like be able to work where they don't have to wait, wait two weeks to get a check. They can have money coming in at any moment. From, from work that they either are doing or, or have done in the past and it's just passive making income for them. But what's better than passive income is passive impact. And I agree with Brother Ben. You know, so I want to help people to not do something solely for the money, but to do things solely for the impact, right? Solely for the mission, solely for the purpose. And so as, as, as a life design coach, as an intellectual and a scholar, um, I want to use my talents that I've developed within my experience as an entrepreneur, as a life coach, as an artist, to really help people to, to find that brand, to find that space, that platform they can create for themselves, to make that impact, 
so that their impact can take care of them and their livelihood. So that's essentially what the intellectual action area does. I do everything from from fashion, which I'm still working on now. Um, but that's that's part of it. Oh yeah, appreciate you. I thank you. So I, I do everything from fashion, but the main things that I do is online education and, and personal consultations. That's that's kind of the core where I am right now. I do have a partnership with Brother Soul Society. Um, we're distributing the live alkaline water. So shout out to Soul Society. Shout out to Live Alkaline Water LLC. Yeah, that that water right there. That's liquid gold. So even even this, before digital branding, before the marketing, you gotta get access to that water. You gotta this drink that is what water. I've been drinking through the whole interview, and I've been yeah. calling it, I've been calling it a quiet treasure. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's literally it's literally gold water, right? Um, and so that that is a partnership that I have with those brothers. Um, and so I'll be you know across the across the eastern part of, of of the United States of America, really getting the water to the people. Started with the community that I'm in right now. And so um, that's a little bit about the intellectual action area. You can find me on social media platforms, intellectual underscore action area for Instagram, um, Dominic Can on Facebook. And of course, if you want to check out some more of my services, some more of my products, you can go to the intellectual action area dot com. I'm going to see I'm going to see if the Soul Society brothers get some of this water to my mom. She's in Gaffney, South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, just tell her to head us up and we'll, 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 we'll stop by. Or if she wants to get it uh, shipped or delivered, that's also an option as well. Okay, I remember that. <clears throat> so, um, so Dominique, yo, man, always great talking to you, brother. Always great talking to you. Uh, every time I talk to you, I feel like I got a little bit smarter. I'm gonna give you your role. I'm gonna give you your flowers, man. I mean, you're you are a game changer. You are intellect. You are intellectual mastermind when it comes to feeding the feeding the people. And brother, you brother, you're not even in your thirties yet. If Malcolm was here today, mm-hmm. he would be very proud of you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are some big shoes to fill, but I, but thank you for telling me that. And I, and I know a lot of folks have have really um, discussed, uh, you know, Malcolm to me in many different occasions. And so I think it's just an honor just to to know of him, to know of his mission and to know that, um, you know, I'm, I'm a part of a generation that was able to bear witness to that greatness and, and um, to be a part of leadership that also bears witness to that greatness. Um, and so thank you, brother, for saying that. It really means a lot. Um, and, and to folks that really do love Malcolm, um, you know, just take in his spirit and just keep the movement going, right? Because our, our people desperately need leadership. We don't need one leader. We need leaders in our community um, willing to, to, to just step up and do something a little bit better to create a better tomorrow. I agree. Um, <clears throat> real quick before we go, um, I think it's kind of, I'm not surprised about this, but I think it's a shame that Malcolm X's birthday is not a national holiday like Martin Luther King's birthday is. But I'm not surprised that it's not. So it's up to us to continue to celebrate his born day year year after year after year. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think this should be for us. You know what I'm saying? Everybody doesn't have to, we, we don't have to make it a national holiday. Yeah, yes, Malcolm's a, he was born on this soil and he shook up the conscience of the American people, regardless of what that message was. 
um, but but he but he created space for people to think and to speak truth to power. And he should be acknowledged for that. But just because they don't acknowledge him or mainstream world will acknowledge him doesn't mean that we don't have to acknowledge him. You know, Malcolm is our hero. He's our leader. And so we're going to continue to acknowledge him. So I made the 19th, you know, of uh, May 19th, uh, the May 19th, I make that every day Malcolm X Day to the, to the day. That'll be a personal holiday that I will, you know, I'll celebrate, you know, and I, and I, and I understand. And there was a fight for Martin Luther King just to get recognized. Just, to, just for Martin Luther King Day to be a national holiday, there was a fight literally a fight with Coretta Scott King. So shout out to the sisters in the movement because they really have been, you know, side by side with some of these great leaders. So Betty Shabazz, you know, Coretta Scott, definitely want to give a shout out to the Queens for, for the women in our movement that were right beside these powerful men and even have done the work in secrecy, making sure that these movements stay together. And so um, if it wasn't for Coretta Scott King and her work really, really pushing Right, our, our political leaders to, to recognize Martin Luther King for the work that he's done, then we wouldn't even be celebrating Martin Luther King Day. That would be a special holiday that we in our community would have to celebrate too. So, you know, um, I, I think what we're doing is just fine. You know, creating these platforms to speak about our leaders and to control the narrative of how we speak about our leaders. Exactly. So before we go, uh, tell people one more time, how can they get in contact with you? For your education consulting, your life coaching, um, uh, helping the young men, everything that you do. How can people get? Um, yeah. Again, you can follow me on Instagram, intellect underscore actionaire. That's my Instagram page. Dominic Cam, my Facebook page, and of course, if you want to get on my personal website, it's the intellectualactionaire.com. Appreciate you, brother, for letting me be on this platform. May the creator and the ancestors continue to bless you in your journey, my brother. Thank you, I take that, I receive that, and back to you, brother. And on that, I would say, I say, I say, I say. I say, my brother. Thank you, brother. And you all have tuned in to yet another episode of ADQ's Renaissance. Next episode, next episode, the 22nd, the 22nd is going down. We're going to have Javetta Miller. Shout out to Dominique Hand. Shout out to another Dominique that I know. If your name is Dominique, you 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 you're dope. You're dope. You're you're dope in my book. Dominique Hand, Dominique Wilkins, Dominique Williams, better known as Nico, and yeah. So, shout out to all Dominiques out there. I'm ADQ. This I'm ADQ. My eyes are bloodshot red. Is this is ADQ's Renaissance? Everybody have a blessed evening. Peace. Why in the world did I just do that? Peace for real. slaves. There was the house Negro and the field Negro. The house Negro, they lived in the house with master. They dressed pretty good. They ate good because they ate his food, but he left. <laughs> they lived in the attic or the basement, but still they lived near their master. And they loved their master more than the master loved himself. They would, they would give their life to save their master's house quicker than the master would. 
The house Negro, if the master said, we got a good house here, the house Negro said, yeah, we got a good house here. Whenever the master said we, he said we. That's how you can tell a house Negro. If the master's, if the master's house caught on fire, the house Negro would fight harder to put the blaze out than the master would. If the master got sick, the house Negro would say, what's the matter, boss? We sick. We sick. <laughs> he identified himself with his master more than his master identified with himself. And if you came to the house Negro and said, let's run away, let's escape, let's separate, that house Negro would look at you and say, man, you crazy. What you mean, separate? Where is there a better house than this? Where can I wear better clothes than this? Where can I eat better food than this? That was that house Negro. In those days, he was called a house nigger. And that's what we call him today because we still got some house niggers running around here. <laughs> this modern house Negro loves his master. He wants to live near him. He'll pay three times as much as the house is worth just to live near his master. And then brag about, I'm the only Negro out here. I'm the only one on my job. I'm the only one in this school, you nothing but a house Negro. And if someone come to you right now and say, let's separate, you say the same thing that the house Negro said on the plantation. What you mean separate? From America? This good white man? Where you gonna get a better job than you get here? I mean, this is what you say. I, I ain't left nothing in Africa. That's what you say. Why, you left your mind in Africa. <laughs> On that same plantation, there was the field Negro. The field Negro, those were the masses. There was always more Negroes in the field than there was Negroes in the house. The Negro in the field caught hell. He ate leftovers. In the house, they ate high up on the hull. The Negro in the field didn't get nothing but what was left of the insides of the hull. They call them chitlins nowadays. <laughs> in those days, they call them what they were, guts. That's what you were, a gut eater. And some of you are still gut eaters. The field Negro was beaten from morning till night. He lived in a shack, in a hut. He wore cast off clothes. And he hated his master. I say he hated his master. He was intelligent. That house Negro loved his master. But that field Negro, remember, they were in the majority. And they hated his master. 
When the house caught on fire, he didn't try and put it out. That field Negro prayed for a wind, <laughs> for a breeze. When the master got sick, the field Negro prayed that he died. If someone come to the field Negro and said, let's separate, let's run, he didn't say, where are we going? He said, any place is better than here. You got field Negroes in America today. I'm a field Negro.
homes that were left behind by holy men infectious charisma of those who gave us direction the anti-sexes resistance against oppression progressive thinking ghetto speakers protesters against the colored only section to the genesixing the frost nixing the contradiction the cross the crucifixion the loss we took for sinning on Easter's back inscription that it was written that nothing is coincidence they took our leaders and they lynched them person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected woman, person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. And as Muslims, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us to respect our women and to protect our women. And then the only time a Muslim really gets real violent is when someone goes to molest his woman. We will kill you for our woman. I'm, I'm making it plain, yes. We will kill you for our woman. We believe that if the white man will do whatever is necessary to see that his woman gets respect and protection, then you and I will never be recognized as men until we stand up like men and place the same penalty over the head of anyone who puts his filthy hands out to put in the direction of our women. Reading the autobiography, you know, I was absolutely floored, you know, and I remember being very emotional, feeling with the sense that my father felt alone, um, that he was so hardworking and so committed, and I knew he was good because, you know, my mother raised us with knowing Daddy, not Malcolm X the icon. Because I think Malcolm X the icon meant that you had to talk about injustice. And so instead of it being, you know, that you had friends based on whether you were black or white, as many people would have thought, it was that we had friends based on the content of the character. And so we were raised to believe in the fatherhood of humanity, you know, that we were all brothers and sisters under the fatherhood of God. And then I took this course with Dr. George Roberts. It was he who actually helped me to further explore who Malcolm was. I remember him asking, how many of you in here would be on the revolution with Malcolm X? Everybody's hands went up. My hands went up. What, what so we're thinking, oh, we're going to fight. <laughs> no, we're not going to fight. The revolution of Malcolm X means you're going to get the best education. You're going to make sure that you are the best that you can be so that you can contribute back to the movement, you know, that you're going to build strong, solid foundations, you know, so he helped me to better understand Malcolm X, the icon. His parents, they were excellent role models for him. They were activists, they were humanitarians, they were educators, 
They were compassionate. They were responsible. They were self-reliant, independent. And so it was because of them that Malcolm, you know, when his father was killed by the KKK, the Black Legion, you know, which was a splinter group to the Ku Klux Klan during the Jim Crow era, so in the 19, what was 1931, that then his mother, six years later, would be taken to an institution, not because she had a nervous breakdown, but this is, these are things that happen, right? And then that the family would be just torn apart. And that my father would be sent to live um, some, separate from his siblings. And he would, you know, fortunately, you know, still become the president of the seventh grade class, right? And he would still have a love for learning. And when his teacher said, who do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I want to be a lawyer. He didn't say, I want to be a football player or a fireman. He said, I want to be a lawyer. Because that's what he saw his father doing, defending people, inspiring people, motivating people, you know, being concerned about his fellow man. And to be told that you, that you, you can't be a lawyer, you have to be realistic. You're just an N. One of my favorites of him is the, his debate at Oxford University because you get to see him as this man who loves, who loves people, who loves humanity, who loves reading, who loves education, who loves poetry. He recites um, Hamlet, to be or not to be, whether it is noble in the mind of suffering, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against the sea of troubles and by opposing end them. Everyone says, if there's something wrong, you've got to do something about it. If there's wrong, if there's injustice, you've got to do something about it. You have to stand for something. And if you see injustice, you have to do something about it. Even during the inauguration with President Obama, it just seemed like my father was slowly being written out of history. And I said, no, this can't be. I absolutely believe that there should most definitely be a national holiday for Malcolm X. Um, and I, you know, there are so many people, you know, who come to me, I travel the world, and they always come to me and they say, when I read your father's book, it changed my life. So I hope by, you know, from all of the people who say that Malcolm made a significant impact on their life, that they would join us and help to push a holiday for my father. Um, not because he's my father, but because of the work that he's done for all of us. And, you know, again, my work is not because he's my father. My work is because I believe in his work. And I believe that his work um, should be, you know, illuminated, you know, that it should be accessible to young people, it should be accessible to adults, that he sacrificed, he made a, a, a significant sacrifice. For my father's 50th memorial is coming. We will commemorate um, his transition at 310 um, Eastern Standard Time. And um, we have uh, the Malcolm X and Betty Shabazz Memorial and Education Center that my mother founded, actually. And when she passed away, we, it took us a few years to make it operational, but we did. So it is, again, this thing that, you know, my mother, find the good and praise it, turning a place that represented such tragedy into a place of triumph. And, and so we have this 
wonderful center. We've had different speakers come. We had Tariq Ramadan from Oxford come uh, last year. And um, this year, it, you know, we're still in the planning stages of it. Um, but it would, it's going to be at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It falls on a Saturday, February 21st. And we'll have, you know, a wonderful program that commemorates um, all that he means to all of us, the world.